You are listening to Talking Home Renovations with a House Maven. Is it time to renovate your house, but you're worried that you don't really know what you're doing? This is an educational and entertaining podcast that will ease your fears. Or maybe you just love hearing about home renovations like I do. I am your host, Catherine McPhail. I am an architect. I practice in Eastern Massachusetts. On the show, I interview other architects, vendors, contractors, and homeowners to gather tips and stories about home renovations. You can learn about materials, systems, sustainable practices, what to expect, what to avoid, and how to make the most of the money that you'll spend on your renovation. My guest this week is Mandy Freeland, who is an architect from California. She had an unfortunate accident where she broke her femur. She's been recovering from that and realizing that her house isn't as accommodating as it could be. She and I were talking about this recently, and I asked her if she would come on the show to talk about how she would redesign her house if she could, knowing what she knows now. And my feeling is that if we're going to be modifying our houses and building additions and creating new spaces, that we should be accommodating as we can to all people, including possibly ourselves and our family who may need extra space and extra help in the house. So here's my conversation with Mandy. Well, hi, Mandy. Thanks for joining the show. Hi, Catherine. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It is not my pleasure, though, to hear about your your accident where you broke your leg and it has left you not as mobile as you used to be. So you're having more difficulty maneuvering around your house. So I thought it would be interesting to talk to you because I try to encourage clients to think about universal design or the idea of getting around a house if someone has a walker or a wheelchair, because we might not be the ones who need the wheelchair or the walker, but it might be our friends who come to visit or anything could happen to any of us at any minute. So. Right. So I'll give a brief introduction of the injury. I was in Lake Tahoe with my family and wakeboarding, like water skiing, and broke my femur, had some emergency surgery, ended up not needing a cast. Okay, so nobody thinks they're going to break their femur. Like, that's the last bone that anyone ever thinks they're going to break. Like, break your foot or break your ankle or break your arm or something. But breaking your femur is the last thing. But that definitely brings us back to, to what we're talking about today, having an unexpected injury um, that has a long recovery time. So I've been recovering for two months now. And... It um, is surprisingly difficult to first survive um, or like take care of myself, eat, sleep, um, you know, get up to to use the bathroom or get to the car to go to doctor appointments. Just the survival part in my home is like the first, you know, month of it, which is a lot of days when you think of a month. Mm. Um a lot of days of not being able to move or take care of myself by myself. So getting dressed, um, getting washed, you know, having assistance really takes, I don't know, it widened my eyes on what is needed in the home for people who have unexpected injuries, not just when we think about disabilities. I mean, we might think about hearing or or vision impairments. We might think about wheelchairs, take it to the extreme. Wheelchairs are are the extreme. They're the biggest, the biggest maneuvering, you know, device that a person needs when they're disabled. But there's also those temporary disabilities of injuries where someone needs a walker and maybe crutches or um, needs an assistant 
like another person, like another uh, adult person to help lifting and pulling and assisting. So it's just considering the the recovery of a temporary injury. Um, people with this kind of injury or back injury or neck injury, um, it can take like six months to a year to heal to be able to function again. I know a lot of people, a lot of people since I got my injury talk about hip replacements and knee replacements and it takes like six months to get back fully functional again. Mm-hmm. So there's little considerations that um, in a person's home that we can keep in mind and we call it universal design. And universal design is not just for completely disabled people, but it's it's for people like me <laughs> who could use a little extra thought. So the first step of of having a, a disability, a temporary disability, like an injury, is is kind of survival mode. Um, and that's what the second person, like an adult helping helping you out, lifting, pulling, you know, helping you get comfortable bringing you food, just kind of all of that stuff. Um, cleaning yourself, you know, just making sure that you're clean and, and washed, just the basic needs. But then the second part is learning how to recover and, and live independently. And that might take a lot longer. A person might not be able to stand for very long. The number of steps a person can take might be five steps and that's it. They might have to use a walker to get around all of the spaces of the house. So, um, and I'm interested in what you, what you think of Catherine. I normally do. So I am an architect, but I normally do commercial projects and school projects. So I'm used to designing for accessibility. And when it comes to the home, it's just not something that is a typical design thought process in designing for a person's home. Right. Um, but I would like it to be because you never, never know when, you're going to need when you're going to get injured or something's going to happen and you're going to need um, just consideration in the design of your house. Right. There are a couple of standard things that I try to get people to do, like like to consider uh, installing 32-inch doors, for example, so they're just slightly wider than the, than the standard or by code 30 inches. That's very, very minimum. I mean, also thinking about how people get into your house, especially if you have visitors who may not may need a walker or... Uh, even a wheelchair, it's sometimes it's hard to get get it to be that accessible. But making sure you have railings on your stairs at the very least, um, and then just the the clearances around things, just making sure that it's not everything's not too tight. That you so these are the very minimum that I would suggest to people. And of course, with universal design, there are various standards for bathrooms, for example. So I am designing something right now for a woman who is in her early 80s and is planning on living in this house for the rest of her life. So we're planning on the uh, like a barrier-free shower, for example, one that you don't have to walk over a little curb to get into or in that it's big enough for somebody else to be in there with her and assist. Um, we're planning on being able to take out the vanity that she has in there and then eventually installing one that her knees could go under in a wheelchair if she ends up in a wheelchair so kind of planning for the future like that I try to get people to think about that but you were talking we were talking the other day about all these little little things you've noticed around the house and I was wondering if you could share those with us things that people might think about if they're re you know they're building an addition and there's a new bathroom going in or a new kitchen or anything yeah okay so I can I can really frame it around 
my injury, but um, my husband a few years ago also dislocated his elbow and was a one-handed person, so recovering in one-handed. So I, I can I can kind of frame it around that too when you don't have use of two arms, two hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so I broke my femur, um, which was a injury to my knee and my upper leg and my hip. So sitting for very long is very, is difficult. Um, Standing was kind of impossible for the first four weeks. Um, In my house, I have in our master, in our master bathroom, we have a walk-in shower and we have a garden tub, which is, I think it's pretty standard for master bathrooms in my area. I'm in California. Um, but a garden tub is a big deep. It's an oversized oval tub. Oh, okay. Um, mean- with the with the tub deck. So the tub deck is up high, and then the tub is is kind of deep and low. So you'd have to like climb in. So it was something that if I wanted to take a bath, I can't get in because I can't lift my leg that high to get up and over. And if I could lift my leg enough to get over, I can't use my leg to lower myself into the tub. Yeah. So the tub isn't, I mean, you would think with an injury or, you know, just recovering, taking a bath would be a very nice thing (laughs) to do, but it's almost impossible unless there are grab bars or another adult or two to help you get in. And that's just not something you want to do when you're undressed. So Yeah, especially the two, usually. I mean, one, maybe. (laughs) I don't think I could do it with one person, though. They'd have to be, like, in the water helping yeah. me get in, and it's just not one of the... I mean, so it's yeah. just a no on the bath. A no on the bath. Um, so what would be what would be helpful, then, to have a shallower bath, to have a, a grab bars, I guess? That would be one thing. I mean, yeah, a grab bar on the wall. So it's in, it's in the corner of the bathroom. So a grab bar on the wall, for sure. Um, something to stabilize the other side. So I would need two two sides stabilization. So if it was a long-term injury, I would want, I would want, I mean, I would want to take, I wouldn't want to not, I mean, I wouldn't want to never take a bath again. I would want to take a bath. Um, Mm -hmm. If I needed to make it a permanent thing, I'd probably put in a rail, um, just a handrail up and over the side and make sure that I have steps and maybe even a step on the inside that can be taken out and Mm-hmm. set aside while I'm inside the bathtub. So other yeah. than the bathtub, it's the shower. Mm-hmm. Oh, but I do have to say the tub deck is very helpful for sitting and dressing. And um, it's been it's been very helpful as a sitting spot for um, anything in the bathroom. That's a good point. Um, so the second thing is the shower. So we have a walk-in shower and we have a built-in bench which is this it's the so the glass wall of the shower is actually over the tub deck about a foot so the tub deck extends into the shower and acts as a bench a built-in bench so um a built-in bench inside the shower is really awesome so sitting in the shower and being able to being able to sit in the shower is like I can take my walker in the shower, which I need to take the walker into the shower to help me and then sit and, you know, bathe myself by myself 
which is something that you want to do by yourself. Uh, so dignity in the whole having an injury or a disability is a kind of a really important thing. You don't, you kind of have to give up your modesty when, uh, when something happens where you need assistance. So being able to do things independently is awesome. Okay. So basically, if I hurt myself, well, if I hurt myself, I live on my bedrooms on the second floor. So that might be out anyway. But then my bathroom just is a tub shower. So it would be really, really hard to get into the tub. And yeah. take a shower on my own. That's not going to happen. Um, You could get a bench. I would if 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 I had a tub shower, which we have in in one of our other bathrooms. Um, I think you can get a bench that you can sit in. You can put inside and sit on it. Uh, I think I would try and do that. But well, lifting I'm, the leg to get up and over would be hard. I'm just not going to do anything too exciting. Hopefully I won't break. <laughs> that's what you think now that's what i think i know i'm gonna jinx myself okay anyway so the sh the shower do you have a barrier free shower or do you have a curb no that that was the other thing we have a curb hmm. and for it, i don't know the first few weeks getting my leg to lift that high up and over the curb so it's about six inches it's not really high but getting my leg up and over and having the walker inside the shower and holding myself and balancing myself and shifting my weight up and over that curb was really hard. Mm. Um, yeah, that curb was definitely a barrier, an obstacle, an yeah. impossibility. If I were to do it again, I would say barrier free. I feel like people don't want to install grab bars because it makes them feel old. So I try to get them to do at least a blocking for grab bars, but also the barrier free shower seems to be in fashion right now. So that's the good news that so you don't have to feel like you're building, you know, an, an unfashionable bathroom. Right. It's, it can it can look really beautiful. Yeah. And it's modern. It's more of a modern look. And then oversized is a little when you think about if you need if you need assistance and you need to lean on things mm -hmm. um, and and you have this big open space, the open space makes it like another barrier kind of where you can't you can't get from you can't take. 10 steps like you can take three True. steps yeah yeah so, there's too much room in between things you can yeah. hold on to yeah Which, i mean you do like it open but i don't know so the other i did have another bathroom bathrooms are a big deal for for disabled people um in my master bath we have a toilet room which separates the toilet with a door and a wall and everything private little toilet room in the master bath and the door is wide enough for me to get in with the walker, but it opens in and it's mm. only wide enough for the toilet and for the door to open fully. Mm. So in, I can get in, but I can't close the door with the walker. Mm. So designing, so thinking about that, I would have switched the door swing to open out. That um, seems simple enough. Then you yeah. can still have a small toilet room, but you can use it. Yeah, anyone can yeah. use it. And then that might even be, I know we're not talking about obesity, but, you know, as as our culture shifts to, you know, larger size people, um, larger accommodations, we're, we're seeing this in commercial design a lot that our, our bathroom stalls are, we're just providing more room in them, more room to open and close the doors. So more room front to back and more room side to side. 
Mm-hmm. It's not a bad idea to also consider that in um, private residential projects. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. The other thing about, I guess, the disability is now that I'm walking, I'm walking about 50% without the walker and the rest I can do. Like in my kitchen, I can pretty much walk around my kitchen without a walker. But my counters are really close together. I have a full L-shaped island. And I have um, I have one wall that has the stove and refrigerator. And my L-shaped island is, um, it starts right across the refrigerator, which I love. So when I'm at the refrigerator, I get stuff out and set it on the island, on the counter. Which is handy, because then I don't have to try and walk carrying anything. Hmm. So setting stuff there, and then and then the counter with the stove um, is like one step away. So I can I can take one step and shift things from the island to the other counter to cook, and everything's within reach. Um, I did design it when we did when we built the house. I designed it for multiple people to be in the kitchen at once. We do mm-hmm. like to accommodate for large family gatherings, and we have a lot of cooks in our family. And so I wanted to make sure that we weren't stepping on each other's toes. Um, so we have, like, you know, a space for prep, for food prep, space for washing, space for cooking. Um, so I did probably not, I didn't design it for disabilities, but I designed it for space and maneuverability so when you think about the kitchen design and you use like the the triangle so you can go from one space to the other I did that in small versions Mm. um and it works out well for me (laughs) right now so I only have to take one step or two steps to get something like a step to get a glass and then a step to get to the refrigerator and everything can be counter to counter transitions and I I think that that's really important when you're not carrying things because not everyone's able to carry. So then when we go back to think about my husband who had one usable arm and one dislocated elbow, I think that was helpful for him too to just use use the one arm, um, use the one hand for things and not not need two hands for things. So... It's different when you're when you have a leg injury and when you have an arm injury cuz you can get around pretty well when you have an arm injury. <laughs> but it's more like the practical things carrying things or mm-hmm. opening doors or yeah. um you know lifting things. So you want to keep everything low. You can't, you know, if there's anything heavy that you need two hands for, I don't know, keep it low so it can be pushed along instead of carried along. Yeah, that makes sense. And having lever um, levers on the doors instead of knobs. I don't know if you. Yeah, we have levers. All of our doors are levers. Yeah, it's really hard. It's really hard for a lot of people to open the doorknobs if you don't have strength in your hand for whatever reason. At that yeah. time, like you can't use it at all. You can you can open a lever almost with anything. Mm-hmm. You know your elbow. Yeah, but that's very if, true. If that's not the thing that's injured. Yeah. So. Um, People, I have noticed that my clients lately have been opting for levers over knobs, just as a an observation I've had recently. That's I mean, it. It's a good thing to do. It is. Yeah. yeah. It's a little scary. And so I have two kids and they're teenagers now. But back when they were little, like 
between age probably three and six. We didn't want levers on our doors because we didn't want them getting outside by themselves. You yes. know what I mean? So yes, I they couldn't yeah. really handle the the knobs, but they they could definitely open the levers. Okay, so, so your recommendations for the kitchen would be to design it so that you could potentially pivot on one leg and and move things that way instead of having to carry it and walk on both feet across the kitchen, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Have everything in like arm's distance mm. and counter to counter. Yeah. So like in my kitchen, we have a great room. We have a kitchen, living room connected open space. Um, so for a while when I wasn't able, when I had to use the walker fully, um, but I say I wanted something to drink and no one else was there to help. I'd go get something like a cup of coffee. I'd mm. go get a cup of coffee and I'd set it on the counter. And my counter, my island is really long and it leads to the living room. So I would scoot it. I would take a couple steps and scoot the cup along and take a couple steps and scoot the cup along. <laughs> so <laughs> I figured out a way to make it work. And I got my coffee cup over to my chair where I wanted to sit and drink coffee. Mm. It was um, it took me a minute to figure out how to do it without having to carry it. But just having that connection, the physical counter connection from one space to the other helped a lot. Yeah. I'm not saying like you have to design a counter to stretch one from one space to the other, but sometimes it's just if you have something, furniture or, and I know that we're not designing furniture, we're designing walls, floors, roofs, windows, doors, that kind of stuff. But right. we do thoughtfully think about where the furniture layout is going to be when we design. So that's true. Yeah. So just considering like, hey, you know, if the furniture was laid out this way, if a person injured could hobble along, scoot along the counter and get over to where they're going to sit and rest like that just makes it a lot, a lot more thoughtful. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a travel mug and some kind of cup holder on your walker would help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even that we could, I mean, we could probably, architects could probably think of a million things that we could do to improve like the walkers. For yeah. carrying things. I know, especially someone who's <laughs> needed to use one. Is there any other part of the home that you would, like, what about getting in and out of your house? Do you have a lot of steps getting in and out or? No, in California. So I live in a single story and in California, we don't have steps up to the house. So we don't have a raised um, floor. There's no need for, we, so we have slab on grade. Oh, um, okay. So the only, but we have the threshold is high, is, you know, higher than the, than the outside patio um but we go in and out through the garage so just making sure there's no obstacles is what i mean that's just you know that's just one of the things that garages accumulate big bulky things so making sure there's a clear path is just i don't know one of the things but um no i we we go in and out of the garage so being able to fully open the door while the car is parked in the garage is important but that's more of a like I mean, some garages are small, though, and you can't fully open a door while it's inside the garage. So you have to pull out and then fully open your door. Yeah. Um, which is I hate to see hard. the garages that are designed very minimally and don't leave enough room for a door to open. I do, too. And trying to keep stairs. And in our case around here, we have a lot of difference. Usually there's a big difference between grade and the first floor, usually around three feet or maybe more. So sometimes getting in between the living space and the garage involves a bunch of stairs. And so where do you put those in the garage? 
If you need any stairs in your garage, then you really need to have a bigger garage so you can have enough room to maneuver around the cars and the stairs and the whole thing. Definitely. There's a lot that goes on in there. So thinking about a two-story house with an injury like a back injury or a leg injury or something like that that can't, I mean, just thinking about getting upstairs is still very scary to me. Stepping over the threshold in my shower is scary enough, but like putting my weight, all of my weight on one leg to climb a stair is very scary to me. Yeah. In a two-story house, some of my thought processes and design would be to make sure that maybe that there's a flex space designed in, in the first floor that can transition to bedroom or like a, a space. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. when people have a back injury, they have a hospital bed brought in. Or if there's an elderly person that you're taking care of that, you know, can't maneuver up and down the stairs, then, right. then there's like a very large hospital bed brought in. Or they, you know, or or someone has to sleep on the couch or something, but just making sure that there's like maybe a flex space so the person isn't out in the open sleeping on the, the living room couch among the family members. I don't know. Yeah, that's yeah, another that's thing. Point. We have a guest room, so it was easy for me to. Well, we, we have a guest room, but my my master bed is actually very high and I still can't get up <laughs> onto it. Aww. So so we're on our lower guest bed right now. Yeah, that's uh, that's true. The accessibility of furniture is a point as well, which isn't, as you said, it's not our domain. But the idea of having at least an option where you don't have to climb up into bed so that mm-hmm. in case you can't. I was working with a person who has a uh, chronic condition, which means that stairs are difficult. Moving around the house is difficult for her. So I think she's going to end up installing a home lift, you know, an elevator, a little home mm-hmm. elevator, a limited use one so that so that she can actually go up to her second floor again. So that is an option for people. And it's not it's not very inexpensive, but that does allow people who live in the two-story houses to get actually onto both floors. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah. Or also a chair lift on the stairs, but not all stairs can accommodate that. It's just too bad if people live in a house like that long term and they're not it's it's something that they're never really going to be able to get to their second floor again. So but they can walk on a level surface. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's an option. So another thing I guess I could talk about, um, my mom has cancer and she's been um, treated. She's been in treatment for three years now. Oh, I'm sorry. And oh, no, it's she's a fighter and everything's going really, really well. She got great news recently and everything's great, great on that side. And we talk about injuries and stuff, but we also a lot of people have cancer you know, or other things that aren't like physical bones broken or something, but maybe are going through a multiple year treatment process that makes them, you know, unable to do the normal things or need assistance. The house that my mom lives in is built on a hillside and it's a single story with a walkout basement. That's what we would call it. I don't know if you would call it a two story, but we would call it so that the entry, the front doors is on grade and then it's built on a hill so the basement walks out um to grade at the back okay we talk about remodeling her house and moving the laundry room to the basement but in doing that we're thinking ahead of like things like a laundry chute or um a dumbwaiter installing a dumbwaiter or something yeah um, I know it's been really difficult for her. Her office is downstairs. Um, her All the living space is upstairs. The bathroom, the bedroom, the kitchen, everything's upstairs. So going downstairs is a luxury. It's not necessary, but it's the extra spaces. 
Um, yeah. But carrying anything down the stairs is not the easiest thing, especially if it's big and heavy. It's just like impossible for her. Mm. So, yeah. so dumbwaiter's good for that. Yeah. Things like that to accommodate the stairs on multi-level houses. Yeah. And I think if people are planning on staying in their houses. I mean, who knows what's going to happen, right? But let's just say someone's just thinking they're going to stay there until till the very end. And that could be 20 years from now. But they are going to need some accommodations as they as they age. So you might as well build them in right away. And plus, you get a little extra room. Having a little extra room in, you know, let's say in your toilet room. I mean, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and even just designing a little extra room so that, say, you do decide to build a dumbwaiter in or yeah. like a laundry chute in, that really it's not a big deal. There's room for it. Right, right. Planning where it might go, and then you don't have to put it in right away, but you'll know where it will go later. And all the framing's yeah. in there and everything. That totally makes sense. When a person gets injured or, you know, going through cancer, stuff like that, it's it's uh, just thinking ahead and thinking um, about dignity, about how they can keep their dignity. If they do, sometimes they do need a full adult to assist them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to accommodate for two people instead of one person. Um, and then helping them to, to function independently is like second, taking care of them first, like survival mode first is important. So that's like the two people thing, Mm -hmm. um, and making sure that they, you know, that they can, that they can eat, they can rest, they can stay clean, just, you know, they can minimally get around what, what they need to do. And then second is when they do start recovering. They don't want to have to ask somebody to get them a glass of water, <laughs> you know? Yeah. They want to be able to, you know, eventually take care of everything themselves and function independently. You don't want to always have to ask people for help. And then when you're left alone, you want to be able to know, I mean, you want to know that you can, you can take care of yourself. You can make your own lunch. And if you're thirsty, you can get your own drink, you know? Yeah. So independence. So first survival mode, second independence. Yeah. Making sure that someone can can pull themselves, lift themselves, grab bars. Even if you provide the blocking in the wall and install the grab bar later, then you're set. Then you're just, you're set. It's great. And then take it back out when, if you recover from your injury and you don't want to see the grab bar. Mm-hmm. Well, regarding grab bars, I, I think people object to the kind of tubular ones that look like they're in a commercial doll, you know, mm-hmm. bathroom stall. But then I've been seeing some recently on the old house community on Instagram where it seems like there are these wooden rails. They're they're more like these these beautiful pieces of, of wood. I assume they're strong enough to pull yourself up on because they're supposed to be grab rails. But it would seem like there's alternatives to the grab bars that make people feel like it's an institutional bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've seen them. I've seen them around, too, for residential use. And then yeah. if you pay attention to hospitals. Theirs don't always look like they have chair rails and grab bars and theirs don't always look they're not always using the stainless steel stuff. They're using um you know, they hire really talented interior designers that are healthcare interior designers. So there's a lot of products available that are um designed to support a person's weight, mm-hmm. you know, like a grab bar, but it doesn't have to be a grab bar. Mm-hmm. It can be, you know, it can be designed into the wall. There's there's different really, really incredible, like now that I've, with my injury and I visit hospitals and doctor's offices and stuff a lot, I um, see how much, 
how much talent is out there with the interior designers and, and the products that they find mm. that make it look more comfortable yeah. and less institutional, less cold. I know the stainless steel is a very cold feeling mm-hmm. um, institutional product. So anything that's not like wood is very warm and comfortable. Yeah. Um, anything with color or different shape other than the round. Yeah. Yeah. And you could use them for towels maybe in the meantime until you need it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just don't out. install a, a towel holder. Yeah. Uh, and use it as a grab yeah, don't bar. Don't do that. That's bad. That's not going to work out very well. Oh, no. yeah. It'll be kind of painful. Well, thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about all this, Mandy. It was just really, uh, when you were mentioning it the other day, I was thinking that would be, it would just, people just don't think about that necessarily. And I feel like it would be a good idea to accommodate different abilities in the house. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you asking me to, to talk about it. Yeah. It's something, you know, like I said, I do commercial design a lot. And so I'm always doing the preparing for the worst cases, the wheelchairs, making everything, you know, wheelchair accessible. Mm -hmm. But in my own home, when I was injured, I'm not in a wheelchair. (laughs) I'm in a, I'm using a walker Mm. um, and I need a person to help me. So it's, it's things that we don't think about when we think about disabilities, we think wheelchair or maybe blindness or deafness or just something like that. But we Maybe it's just not as common to think about crutches or casts or, you know, temporary injuries that really just take six months to recover from. Yeah. And we could, but any of us could get any kind of illness or have an accident at any time that could end up being a permanent thing. I mean, there's the, we're not necessarily always going to be completely, uh, fully able to do everything, you know? So it's good to to think about that or the other people in our family. So. Absolutely. Well, thanks a lot, Mandy. Give me some stuff to think about. Thanks for listening to this episode. The show notes is where you'll find all the links and bio information to our guest today. Join my Facebook group, Talking Home Renovations Together, where we have past guests and homeowners, architects, contractors, all there together to discuss any issue that might come up. On Clubhouse, we have a little chat on Saturday mornings at 10. We have a regular room. That's the Talking Home Renovations Club. Instagram, of course, just join me over there. I've been giving tips. I'm committed to giving a thousand tips. There's no end to that. I don't know when I'll finish, but I have said in thanks for a thousand followers that I would give a thousand tips. So I'm on my way for doing that. Subscribe to the show and tell all your friends. And if you have extra time in your life, if you could give a review or a rating, that that really helps with my discoverability is what I'm told. Just wanted to thank the people of Armenia who are listening to the show, still number one over there, which gives me a little, I feel pleased that people are listening and enjoy the show. So thank you. And get in touch anytime at TalkingHomeRenovations.com has all the information, how to reach me. Um, also, transcripts, episode enhancements, and past episodes. This podcast is a member of Gable Media. Check out the other podcasts and shows that are part of that network at GableMedia.com. Dot com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A dot com. This podcast is a production of my architecture firm, Demios Architects, where we believe architects are for everyone. Until next time, take care. Take care.